When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, what we got on the slate for tonight, bro? Man, Kevin, we got an action-packed episode. We got a lot of NBA topics to hit. We also got UFC 272 coming up this weekend. It's about to be lit, my guy. You ready to dive into these topics? You already know. All right, so... We'll go over some NBA topics, the first one being Draymond Green calling out the Lakers fan base, calling them spoiled brats in one of his more recent episodes on his podcast. That'll be a fun topic for me since I am a Lakers fan. After that, we'll talk about the new look 76ers. We'll talk about how James Harden has done quite a pretty, he's done a pretty good job with the 76ers so far. They've won their first three games in James Harden's tenure there. So we'll dive into that a little bit. After that, we'll focus on the Celtics. The Celtics have had a pretty good stretch the last two weeks or so. Jason Tatum has really kind of led the way in that regard. So we'll dive into how the Celtics have been winning and why they've been so effective so recently. After that, we'll kind of flip the script. We'll talk a little bit about the Knicks, who have basically fallen off the earth at this point. They've had a really bad stretch of late. They've lost their last six games. And we'll just talk about whether or not that we see the Knicks finding some sort of way to get into the playoffs when April and the regular season comes to an end. And then after that, we'll finish off the episode with UFC 272. The big fight of that card is going to be the Kobe Covington and Jorge Masvidal fight. It's the first time that we see both fighters fighting in 2022. Both fighters had one fight in 2021, so it'll be a good start for the both of those two when we get this matchup for UFC 272 this weekend. But that is essentially the slate for the episode that we have. Kevin, I'm going to let you take this one with the Draymond segment just because he's going after my team, my guy, and I'm not going to have it. I would expect nothing less. So, Kyle, obviously with Draymond's recent comments on his podcast, he had come at the Lakers fan base for uh, booing the Lakers in a time of, I guess, need. The Lakers are struggling. Obviously, we know we've made multiple segments, and we've talked about it on multiple episodes that – The play of Russell Westbrook, Rob Palenka bringing in some of the older veterans, and obviously LeBron James trying to carry a team at the age of 38 years old in season 19 seems a little bit unweary. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts on how Draymond articulated Lakers fans uh, as of the last season? I think Draymond is dead wrong. And I've gone at Draymond in the past before just based on certain things that he's done on the court. But now these are antics that he's 
providing off the court with his podcast. So essentially, this whole thing started when the Lakers were losing a home game just a couple days ago, and LeBron was having a conversation with one of the fans, and LeBron basically told this one fan that was really chirping at him that he really doesn't know basketball outside of just seeing the ball go in and out of the hoop. And Draymond chimed in to that whole situation that LeBron had with one of the Lakers fans and essentially said that the Lakers fans need to be a little bit more responsible in how they treat their players just because Draymond's of the mindset that booing the fans, booing LeBron or booing the Lakers players is distasteful and not only distasteful, it's disgraceful. This is essentially the crux that I have with Draymond and I disagree with it pretty much in every way, shape and form. The Lakers are sitting at a 27 and 34 record. Now Draymond is saying that it's distasteful for Laker fans to be booing LeBron James. LeBron is not the only player on the Lakers. There are a multitude of other players on the Lakers rosters that include Russell Westbrook used to be Deandre Jordan, but now he's been waived Dwight Howard and a litany of other players. All of these guys are getting booed. And the reason why they're getting booed is because the Lakers are seven games under 500. They've lost their last three straight games. And they're struggling to maintain a top 10 seed in the Western Conference. And people could say, well, Lakers fans should be a little bit more respectful to the players because LeBron did bring a championship two years ago against the Heat when they were in the bubble. I don't really want to hear it because these fans have every right to voice their displeasure about how the Lakers have been playing this season. And the thing is, these fans are paying hundreds of dollars, possibly even thousands of dollars, depending on where they're sitting, to watch the Lakers play decent basketball. And the Lakers as a whole have not lived up to that standard. And when you look at their records, like I said, 27 and 34, that is unacceptable. The Lakers fans know that this team can play better, yet the current roster that the Lakers are fielding are not playing up to that standard. Now, granted, LeBron is doing great things despite the fact that he is damn near hitting 20 years in the league. He's doing everything that he can, but it goes farther than just LeBron. Russell Westbrook has been a player that has faced a litany of criticisms throughout the entire year. And really, that's where I think a lot of the displeasure from Laker fans is coming just because Russell has played so bad throughout most of the season. And Russell has kind of carried this attitude of, well, I may not be playing well, but I'm not going to bring all these Laker fans and their hate home to my family. It's just not worth it. If Russell's going out there and saying those types of things, why even be there in the first place? Just because if he's so content with the way things are going, then as far as I'm concerned, he's only there for the check. He doesn't really care about the success or the failures that this team as a whole are experiencing two-thirds of the way through the season. So, you know, Draymond kind of took these Laker fans booing out of context as far as I'm concerned because he's saying that they're booing LeBron James. I don't agree with that. They're booing the entire team, and it's well-deserved because the Lakers are struggling and have played like trash the last month or so. And I don't really want to hear, oh, well, they've dealt with injuries. That's been a part of this season. There's no doubt. But this team as a whole should be playing a lot better than what they've been pretty much the entire season. 
So when I look at Draymond's comments, I'm going to be honest. Dude, he's got to stay in his lane. Because granted, I know Draymond is a multiple-time champion with the Golden State Warriors. But him addressing another fan base's group and calling them out for being disrespectful, I don't want to hear it. Because as far as I'm concerned, we spend a lot of time on the Lakers. I spend a lot of time watching these Lakers games. And I know the struggles this team is facing as, as a whole. They're just not that good of a team. And I really don't want to hear Draymond Green chiming in about the Lakers fans being disrespectful when it's clear and obvious that this team is underperforming and they deserve criticism for playing like trash of late. So that's pretty much all I got to say. Kevin, I'll let you take the floor from here. So, I mean, I I get the frustration from Kyle. I do. Uh, Being a fan of a big organization like the Lakers, like the Knicks, like any big major city comes with a pride, comes with some form of uh, a lack of tolerance of, you know, failure. Everybody knows there are seasons where you're going to, you're going to falter. You're going to have a struggle. You're you're not going to be as good as you were the year before, but to go from a, a, a top seed last year get riddled with a bunch of injuries, kind of fall into the place that you did where you play Phoenix and you get embarrassed and you, and you come to this season and you say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to bring the band back together, we're going to get healthy, and we're going to compete for an NBA championship. And then you go about building and constructing a team like Rob Palenka did, and then you fail to perform after you take that gamble and building a shitty team. I think that the Lakers fans are allowed to be upset. Now, I understand Draymond's comments. Because I believe that sometimes fans can be a bit harsh, and I get it. Players need to just deal with it. Players are getting paid millions of dollars. Um, you know, kind of grow up, man up. It comes with the territory. I understand what Kyle's going to tell me. It shouldn't matter. But at the end of the day, people are looking at LeBron James like he is supposed to single-handedly will a shitty team to the NBA Finals like he did in Cleveland. The Eastern Conference was whack. The Eastern Conference top competition were the Atlanta Hawks one year, and they swept them. Like, for God's sakes, we're talking about, like, Kyle Korver, Jeff Teague, Paul Millsap. Like, all of them voted All-Stars. I know the year you guys – I know you guys know the year I'm talking about. But I'm saying, in the Western Conference, you got to worry about the Suns, the Warriors, the Mavericks, the Jazz, the Nuggets. I mean, the top ten teams arguably are a top eight team if you don't include the playoff or the play-in tournament. So I'm just looking at this, and I'm saying, I understand – where Draymond's coming from, but I understand where Kyle's coming from as a fan. Both make sense, but I'm going to have to agree with Kyle here, man. You really can't sit here and just tell a fan base, like, you're being too soft or you're being too critical or you're you're, you're not giving your players a chance to play. Bro, I'm going to a game. I'm paying, like Kyle said, I'm paying money to watch my favorite team, one of the greatest teams in all of sports, shit the bed night in and night out. It's frustrating. I'm allowed to boo. I'm allowed to be frustrated. I am allowed to give them shit as a loyal fan, which is what Kyle is, because he's been a Laker fan his whole life. So if I'm an NBA fan, if I'm a Laker fan and I see my team playing like dog shit, I'm going to give my peace of mind as well. So we've already talked about this on multiple episodes. This fan base, this generation does seem to be a little bit on the softer side in terms of how they handle their emotions and whatnot. But overall, I definitely get where Draymond's coming from, so I will play devil's advocate here. But uh, no, definitely. Some of these comments are justified, but uh, Draymond definitely needs to chill out. And this is a lot different than like the criticisms that I've had for Knicks fans because my main gripe with Knicks fans is they get hyped after one good season 
And now I don't know where they are. The Knicks are not that good this year. They're not, they're probably not going to make the playoffs just because I think they're sitting at like 12 or 13 games under 500 as a team. And I go after Knicks fans because they get insane whenever the team does good. And yet now when they're playing subpar across the board, they're nowhere to be found. When it comes to Lakers fans, Lakers fans are very boisterous about the season that the Lakers have been having. And it came with the expectation, like you mentioned, Rob Palenka and LeBron James, because LeBron James definitely has his hand in this roster as far as how they constructed it this season. For sure. The way that I look at it is Draymond is thinking that, okay, it's disgraceful and it's disrespectful to boo LeBron James because he brought the Lakers a championship two years ago. And that's fine. I definitely appreciate what LeBron did back in the day, being able to get a championship against the Miami Heat when they were playing in the bubble. But that's two years ago. We're now in 2022, and the Lakers as a whole this year are playing at a subpar level, and the fans have every right to boo them because it's like you mentioned. They are are paying hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars, to go see this team play at an elite level, and the players as a whole on this roster are not playing up to snuff. Now, LeBron, LeBron's playing fine. This is despite the fact that he's damn near getting up to 38, 39 years old, and he's still playing at an elite level. Draymond is thinking that we're only booing LeBron James. That is not true in any way, shape, or form. You can boo Frank Vogel. You can boo Russell Westbrook. You can blame a litany of other players. For Draymond to categorically state that we're only booing LeBron James, that is not true. And I know that LeBron was kind of going back and forth with a fan just a couple games ago, basically insinuating that this fan has no idea what he's talking about. I'm like, you could separate that and you could base it off of what I'm seeing on the court. The Lakers are not playing well because, Kevin, let's be honest, this roster is old. By and large, it is old outside of a few players. It might be the and, oldest roster in the league if I'm, think, if I'm thinking fan, about it, really. And the fans know that, and they know that that's a big reason on why the Lakers are struggling as a whole. This is not like 2012 when all of these guys were in their prime of their careers. This is 2022, and most of these guys are on their last leg. And I really don't want to hear it from Draymond because Draymond has always provided antics on the court. And now he's kind of doing it off the court and he's going after the Lakers fan base, which I don't think is justified because the Lakers fans as a whole, I think their criticisms that they have for this team this year are not only valid, they are totally acceptable because the Lakers are sitting seven games under 500. They've lost three games in a row and they're basically fighting and scrapping to get into a playing tournament situation come playoff time. That's the situation that the Lakers are facing right now. And I think the Lakers fans have every right to go after this team because they're not playing well. And if the players have a problem with that, then play better. Give them a reason to actually cheer you on in the first place and not boo you when they're playing like shit. That's how I see it. Lakers fans have every right to go after this team based on the performance that the Lakers have been having. And it's not just LeBron, it's everybody associated with them. And that's how I pretty much see it. It's a failure of a season so far. 
The Lakers fans expected a lot more. And now that they're not getting it, they're voicing their displeasure. And I think it's more than justified. I think it's warranted at this point. If Draymond's got a problem with that, then it really kind of scores the point that Kevin just brought up. These players do not handle criticism that well anymore. They'll say, oh, we have no idea what we're talking about. You don't even know a lick of basketball compared to us. You can make that point all day. But I base this off of results. If you know so much about basketball, why aren't you going out there and winning? You should be able to dominate. If you have that high level of an intellect with basketball, why are you sitting at seven games under 500? If LeBron James is the greatest player to ever step on the court, why are they not like the number one seed in the Western Conference? I would like to know. Because the way that I see it, LeBron had, his, had, his, had a hand in the construction of this roster, and it's led to basically an abject failure for the Lakers as a whole. And the fans have every right to call it out that way. And that's just how I see it. I know I don't typically get animated like this, but for Draymond Green to go out and essentially start chirping, thinking like he knows the Laker fans' displeasure with this team, I don't want to hear it from him. He's got his own issues to deal with with Golden State this year. He's not even playing. Probably for, focusing more time on his podcast because he's not out there playing because he's dealing with some sort of injury right now. But no, I disagree with Draymond vehemently on this one. And there's no way somebody's going to be able to tell me different just because the Lakers should be playing better. And yet they're not. And LeBron James definitely has a hand in that. And, pe- and people will criticize Rob Palenka because he's the GM. But I mean, LeBron's basically doing back channels with a lot of these guys, bringing them in in the first place. So granted, Rob Palenka is the official GM for the Lakers. But you can't tell me that LeBron doesn't have his hand in back channels, bringing free agents into the fold for the Lakers. He definitely did that this offseason. And look at the result. They're sitting, I think, in ninth place right now. That's unacceptable. And the Lakers fans are holding their feet to the fire. And that's the thing that these players don't like. The players don't like the fact that they're actually being held to a higher standard. I'm telling you right now, if Kobe were here, I know Kobe would be going after this team because he knows that this team has a lot more to offer than what they've been putting on the court. And these guys are playing blame games and they're deflecting the real responsibility, which is they have to play better and they are not doing it. That's my rant. I'm done. Hey, hey, I have plenty of them. God knows a lot of our videos are me yelling at some team that I'm in love with. So I cannot sit here and look at you and say, shut the fuck up by any means. I love when you get animated. I'm not going to tell you to cut it or nothing. I've gone on 20 minute rants on the Colts by myself. So please, I know that the fans appreciate it. And I know the basketball fans appreciate a a fan getting animated about his team. It, It just shows the passion that we bring to the table. Now, there are some other topics, so we will transition into another part. Which is where I'm going to leave this to you because now I'm about to get a little, I'm about to get a little upset. So what we got next? All right, so we're going to switch gears. We're going to go over to the Eastern Conference, and we're going to focus on the Philadelphia 76ers. The new look Sixers with James Harden have been playing pretty phenomenal so far. In the first three games that James Harden has appeared for Philadelphia, they've won all three of them. The first one being against the Timberwolves, and the last two being against the Knicks. And all three wins came in convincing fashion. And it's really kind of put Philadelphia in a situation where the expectation for the team is rising now that James Harden has paired up with Joel Embiid. And both of those players have been playing phenomenal since they've linked up after the trade between 
Brooklyn and Philadelphia took place. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the 76ers winning their first three games with James Harden in the fold for Philly, do you think it is premature to hop on the 76ers bandwagon, or do you think it's justified at this current moment in time? I find this to be hysterical. Now, here's why. Any other team in the league that goes on a win streak, two games, five games, ten games, whatever, you look at who they've beaten. You look at the opponents that they have faced. You go about and you say, you know what, is this a a, a justified win streak or have they had a, a fluffed up favorable schedule? The three teams, excuse me, the two teams that the Sixers have beat are the Knicks twice and the Timberwolves in which they blew the Timberwolves out by damn near 30 points. Are we really going to sit here and get excited because James Harden cooked one of the worst worst teams in the Eastern Conference in the New York Knicks? Are we going to get excited that James Harden beat one of the worst NBA franchises over the last decade that are suddenly now relevant at the seventh seed in the Western Conference who have played a little bit better, so I will give Minnesota a little bit more credit. But we're really jumping on a bandwagon. We're really getting animated and excited. The Sixers are here. Yo, the Sixers are real. The Sixers are coming for the Eastern Conference title. The Sixers are going to the finals. The narratives I've been hearing are comical, and I get it. Everybody knows that I don't like James Harden. But we're sitting here getting excited talking about James and Embiid cooking these players. Who the fuck is guarding them? Who's James Harden matching up against in Minnesota? uh, D'Angelo Russell? Who the hell is Joel Embiid matching up? Carl Anthony Towns? We know he's soft defensively. He likes to talk a lot of shit, but we know he's soft. And then the Knicks? Who the fuck is guarding James Harden on the Knicks? R.J. Barrett. Okay. A a favorable defender, but as an organization, ain't nobody guarding him. You're going to set screens. You're going to set mismatches. You're going to create advantages. James Harden has been cooking garbage. The Sixers have beat garbage, and we're sitting here talking about they're going to the finals. James Harden has an incredible stat line over the last three games, damn near averaging a triple-double in three games. I would hope so when you beat three – excuse me, I keep forgetting. It's two teams in three games. I would hope you blow the Knicks out twice. I would hope you slap up the fucking Timberwolves. Bro, I have had enough of Sixers fans coming at me telling me that I'm crazy for getting all down and on the dumps and being negative about the Harden trade. Bro, you will see – when James goes on that internal tear and that, 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 that anchor-weighing fucking drama that, oh, the Sixers are down, they lost two games, or Joel Embiid is asking for more touches, James Harden has six turnovers in a playoff game, you are going to see. And I continue to say this to everybody I've talked to about this subject. Tobias Harris is not trash. Tobias Harris is not being utilized correctly because we all know last season he was averaging damn near 20 points a game. And when he needed to, there were games where he scored 30. You give him shots, he puts up points. He's a scorer. He's a rebounder. He's a solid defender. And you're going to look at me and say, Toby is trash. How many shots a game has he been getting since James has gotten there? I want someone to tell me. Like, you look at the stat line. If he's giving you nine points on six shots, what the fuck do you expect him to do? He's become a third fiddle to, obviously, Joel Embiid, now James Harden. So technically, he's supposed to be the third option. But we're looking at Tyrese Maxey as a third option now. So Toby on a max contract is now fourth? You're not even utilizing one of your best players. Is he in a slump? Yeah. But people that aren't performing well are not getting opportunities and looks. Of course they're going to fall into a slump. 
Come on, man. Sixers fans make me laugh, bro. That's all I'm going to say about it. Let's relax. Let's pump these brakes. There's a lot of fucking season left to go. And until you beat somebody competitive, I don't want to hear no fucking Sixers to the finals bullshit. Go beat somebody good. Well, Kevin, you've mentioned this when we're not recording. You think that the 76ers are in this honeymoon phase with James Harden because, you know, brand new team. They're playing very well. And they're essentially smoking the competition that they're going up against. Now, here's how I'll make my point about the 76ers. I think it's too early to hop on this 76ers bandwagon, but I have to be honest. They have definitely caught my attention. And I think that this hype that the 76ers are currently experiencing, I think it's something to take of note, but not to get overly excited about. It's like you mentioned, Kev. When they beat the Timberwolves and they beat the Knicks, they did it in convincing fashion. But the Knicks and the Timberwolves, I wouldn't necessarily consider like top-tier talent as far as which teams the 76ers are going to play down the stretch. I think when you look at the 76ers as a whole, I think they're definitely a more competitive team now than what they were prior to this trade with Brooklyn. I think James Harden, I think that he's a little bit more focused with Philly than he was with Brooklyn. And it does kind of show because I've been watching some of his post-game press conferences after these games when he's played for the 76ers. And he definitely seems a little bit more focused there doesn't seem to be a lot of drama associated with James so far. And Joel has been playing very solid basketball with James in the fold. And it really does kind of seem at this point that they are complementing each other well at this current moment in time. Now, we have to see how this team is performing when they hit a skit. Because it's not going to be all unicorns and rainbows with the 76ers. Because there will be games that they will lose. And we have to see how this team responds if they do happen to get into a slump towards the end of the season. Because I'm not going to take much stock in three wins over two subpar to maybe average teams. Now, if they continue to win six, seven, eight games in a row and they beat top-tier talent, then it might get to a point where I'm like, okay, I have to take stock of the 76ers hype train because then at that point, they've at least shown me enough to work off of to say, this is definitely something to consider. They may be a legitimate force in the Eastern Conference. As of right now, I can't really say that. And to kind of make a point that you were kind of making earlier with the 76ers fans, there were some 76ers fans that were essentially comparing Joel Embiid and James Harden to Kobe and Shaq. I think that's outright disrespectful. Because, first of all, they played three games together, Joel and James. Kobe and Shaq won three titles together. And they went to four NBA Finals in that stretch from 2004 to 2004, 2005. Like, those two, it's probably one of the best one-two punches that we've ever seen in NBA history. Now, Joel and James, they're kind of in that early stage of, well, we'll see what happens. But I'm not going to say that they're the best thing as far as a one-two punch since Kobe and Shaq. That's just outright crazy. I don't want to hear anything about that. But, Kevin, I'm not going to be as critical towards this hype that the 76ers are currently experiencing. I think it's something of note for me personally, but for me, I'm not going to go, you know, head over heels with it. And I think at this current moment in time, it looks to be off to a good start. I have to say that, but to think that this team is instantly going to go to the NBA finals or they're going to win the Eastern conference uh, crown when it's all said and done. I think it's a little bit premature to say that, but 
I have to say, they're off to a good start, and I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to sit here and make it seem like I hate them, because I don't. I have a problem with James Harden, and everybody knows that. Clearly, if you don't know that by now, you ain't watching the episodes and the segments. I'm looking at it, and I'm just saying, I can't comprehend as a basketball fan, as somebody who has watched the NBA for the majority of their life, and hear analysts and, and, and commentators and fans just get overly excited and we're not going to talk about who they played, bro. The Knicks are arguably one of the worst teams in basketball. I would hope you smack the shit out of them, honestly, if I'm a Sixers fan. And if you did it, I'd be coming at you saying, yo, y'all suck. Y'all not even real. So, again, they won. They did what they needed to do against the bad teams. I, I, I respect that. I'm not taking away the fact that they got the W. I just can't stand that people are overhyping teams for beating shit teams. I mean, the Mavs beat the Warriors the other day. We're beating the Warriors right now. That's a top three-seeded team. That's a top three-seed in the, in, in the NBA overall. Do you see me getting excited? No. And we're better than the fucking – we're better than the Knicks. And we're better than the, 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 the Timberwolves. And the Warriors are better than all of us. But we beat them. Do you see me jumping over the moon? No. We got a lot of season left to go. Granted, you're in a better position than the Mavericks. Granted, your team on paper is better than the Mavericks. But I'm not going to sit here and just jump through hoops saying, oh, we're going to the finals after winning three in a row. doesn't make a damn difference. Again, when you hit some controversy, when you go through some headaches, when James starts to act up, talk to me in a couple of weeks when you start to see the dark side of having James Harden on your roster. But I don't want to harp on it. I know we got plenty of other topics to talk about, which, uh, which actually involve a team that's actually doing very well and has beaten a good amount of teams and is currently beating one of the top teams in the NBA in the Memphis Grizzlies, and that is the Boston Celtics. Yeah, and when we look at the Celtics as a whole, really they've been on a pretty solid stretch of late. I'll actually pull up their recent 10-game mark at this point just because they have been playing pretty solid as a whole. So when you look at the Celtics, in the last couple games, really we've seen the rise of Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has lived up to expectations, just turned 24 years old. He's having a, a pretty solid season this year currently averaging 25 points a game almost 26 which is basically on pace with his career high that he averaged last year he averaged about 26 and a half points last year and he's just continued his consistency from last year and I think that's really something of note when you look at Boston as a whole they're currently sitting at the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference at this current moment in time they have currently won eight out of their last 10 games. And like I said, I think in large part, it's due to what Jason Tatum has brought into the fold this year. And not only that, you have to mention guys like Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, really some big role players that have stepped up in recent memory for the Celtics. They are really stepping up and making a difference. And the Celtics as a whole, the Celtics are only sitting four and a half games back from the Miami Heat for first place in the Eastern Conference. It really kind of highlights just how log-jammed that top one through six seeds in the Eastern Conference is. Just because if you looked at like the Western Conference, for example, the sixth seed is like 10 to 15 games back of first place from the Phoenix Suns. So that's really kind of the difference maker that we have at this current moment in time. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Celtics being on a great stretch of late, who do you think has been most responsible for the Celtics' recent success? 
I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. It's, it's Jason. I mean, you talked about the average over the last couple of games. I mean, this season, averaging 26, shooting 33% from the three-point line, 44% from the field. So, you know, not the greatest season statistically in terms of percentages, but when you're putting up numbers like 33, 26, 30, 28, 38, 24, in the last 10 games, you have to say, whoa, wait a minute. Like, this kid's how old? Didn't he just turn, like, he just turned 26 or 24 today. And he's putting up numbers like that, carrying the Celtics, keeping them in the race. Dude, to, to me, it's not close. Jason Tatum is one of the most electrifying players in the league right now for his age. He's in the category with Luka and Devin and all of those players under 25 because of his ability to take over a game. We know that he has the ability to shoot off the dribble. We know that he can finish at the rim. We know that he can pull up pretty much anywhere on the court within a certain distance because, let's be honest, only a certain amount of people can pull from 30, 40, 45 feet like Steph and Dame and a couple of other people. But Jason Tatum has all of the attributes and all of the athleticism that you need in somebody to lead an organization to a potential championship. Now, I'm not going to go out there and say that the Boston Celtics are going to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but when you have a piece like Jason Tatum, complemented with a defensive and offensive two-way player that Jalen Brown is, I'd say that the Celtics definitely have plenty of opportunity for growth. I say that this win streak or this current success over the last certain amount of games is not a surprise. When you look at the roster that's been assembled in Boston, I get it. They have a rookie head coach in Ime Udoka, and he was kind of scrutinized early on in the season, and they were like, who the hell is this guy? Why the hell did he get this job? Why wasn't it Rick Carlisle? He has this team in a good position. He has his teams four and a half games or four games behind first place in the Eastern Conference. He has Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playing at a very high level. So I'm going to sit here. I'm going to say I'm putting it on Jason Tatum. But as a whole, I'm not surprised. And the two, uh, the two, the double tandem that is Brown and Tatum, that's going to be a nice one-two punch for a couple of years to come. Well, when I look at what the Celtics have done this year, really like the last, I would say, two to three weeks, they've really impressed me just because – Kevin, to be quite honest with you, the Celtics were kind of up and down for the first half of the season. And really, there were some people criticizing the Celtics on whether or not that they were that legitimate of a force in the Eastern Conference, despite having great pieces like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at their disposal. But they just didn't live up to what I think people were expecting. I can't really say that anymore because I think both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been playing phenomenal. But if I had to pick one player in particular who's been the most responsible, for their recent success, I'd have to give it to Jason. Now, when I look at Jason Tatum compared to Jalen Brown, they both present different features as far as their skill sets go. Jalen Brown is a great one-two player as far as being able to not only play great offense, but being able to play great defense. Now, when I look at Jason, I look at Jason as the leader of the team because, you know, when Jason got drafted, the expectation was that he was going to be a force to be reckoned with in the NBA soon as he got into the league. And when I look at this season in particular, he's lived up to that expectation. Now, when I look at Jason Tatum's year as a whole, I think by and large, I think he's actually flying under the radar as far as the national attention or really the national scope goes because Jason's going out there and averaging about 26 points per game. And even though that the Celtics had a rough start, he has been a big reason why they are in the position that they're in only four and a half games back of the Miami heat in first place in the Eastern conference. And I think if Jason just keeps out and playing 
the way that he has as far as you know knocking about 40 to 45 percent of his shots because he is shooting a pretty large volume of shots this year compared to recent years in the past I think he's going to be able to keep Boston on this winning trajectory now I'm not saying that he's going to carry them all the way to an Eastern Conference title and carry them all the way to the finals I think that's a little bit premature because I'd have to see more and I'd have to see him play at a higher level than what he's been doing this season which has been impressive already but with Jason Tatum in the fold you always have to count Boston in just because he could put up 30 40 points relatively easily and we've seen him play in big moments in the past specifically in playoff games where he has lived up to expectations now this year I don't know what's going to happen with Boston in the playoffs just because they've been inconsistent as far as their winning patterns go just because they had a rough start earlier in the season. But if they go into the playoffs playing like they are right now, I think this is a team that could definitely make some noise in the Eastern Conference. I don't know how far they're going to get, but with Jason at the helm, you always have to count the Celtics in. And I think he's in great position. Um, I'm not going to say like he's in the running for MVP, but to me, I got to respect his game. He's been playing phenomenal this year, and I think it's going to carry over once the Celtics get into the playoffs. That's just how I see it. You know what the best part is? We've seen him succeed in the postseason. Last year, they played the Brooklyn Nets in the first round. I believe he scored upwards of almost 100 points in two games when the Celtics were on the brink of elimination. He scored a 50-piece to keep them in the playoff game or in that series. Jason Tatum is arguably one of the best talents we've seen in a long time based on the wide variety of skills he brings to the table for the Celtics. He's got the green light. He's one of those players that truly has the gift. And he trained with Kobe. We know that he's got that mama mentality. He's going to keep playing until the end. I mean, for God's sakes, when he gets hot, it's, he's one of those players that you're just like, oh, shit, like, you, you better start doubling him because yeah. it, it's, he presents that kind of force. And that is something that needs to be respected. And since the Celtics aren't a top three seed in the East, a top seed or a top team in the NBA, with the recent success of Chicago, Philly, all of this Ben Simmons and James Harden and Miami, you you know, Jason Tatum has kind of like fallen under that radar that Kyle had mentioned. So it's like, he's been doing this for a minute now. Well, that's the point that I kind of want to bring up real quick is because I think when it comes to what NBA fans kind of focus on in real time. They focus on flashy. And who's probably the flashiest player in the NBA right now? Who's making the most noise right now? It's probably somebody like John Morant. John Morant, he provides great highlights as far as just being able to dunk the ball ferociously, depending on who he's going up against. It's just absolutely Anybody at this point. (laughs) Jason doesn't typically do that. I mean, he did have the one dunk against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals in his rookie year. But Jason isn't somebody that's going to, I, I would say, like light up social media based on just dunking the ball ferociously like John Morant does. But to me, you know, that doesn't really mean like, you know, John Morant is like head and shoulders above Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum's been in the game for a couple of years now. And to me, the way that I see it is Jason is on just a consistent trend right now. And really, for somebody who's in his mid-20s right now, that's all you really want from from one of your star players on the roster. And I think, you know, as Jason gets a little bit older, as he gets a little bit more experienced, I think you're going to start to see him take another step, possibly even two steps higher 
than what he's currently at right now. I mean, the guy's going out and averaging about 26 points a game. He can pretty much do that in his sleep. I think once he gets into the prime of his career, when he hits about 27, 28 years old, I wouldn't be surprised if Jason's going to go out there and average somewhere around 28, 29 points per game. And I think as the years go on, I think Jason's going to become even more of a focal piece than what he is currently with the Celtics. And I think you're going to see Jason take off to new heights that I don't think a lot of people are really kind of giving him credit for just because Boston doesn't seem to get a lot of media attention, nationally speaking, and they're not at the top of the Eastern Conference, you know, compared to somebody like, you know, Philly or Miami or Chicago, because you like you look at like DeMar DeRozan, DeRozan's in the MVP conversation. You look at Embiid, Embiid's in the conversation, but you don't really mention Jason Tatum. And that's despite the fact that he's going out there and playing extremely efficient basketball. It's just that Jason doesn't provide the flash like John Morant does. He doesn't provide the spark like Joel Embiid does as far as just being able to hype up not only the teammates around it, but the crowd to a larger extent. Jason's just going out there and doing his job, and I think he's doing it very effectively. And it's like you said, Kevin, I think overall, I think this season that he's having, I think it's flying under the radar. And even though that we kind of talked about this off air, you can make a point that Jason is a little underrated just on the fact that I don't think he's necessarily getting the attention that he deserves with the numbers that he's putting out for Boston. That's just kind of how I see it. No, I agree completely. Jason Tatum is just just a special person, man. He's a special player. He can just light you up any given night of the day, or any given night of the week. And I, I, I know I said it a few moments ago. He was one of the ones that Kobe accepted to train. He's one of the mm-hmm. people that sat and studied Kobe and said Kobe was his favorite player coming out of college. So there mm-hmm. is some form of a comparison. You can see it in the footwork. You can see it in the shot selection. You can see it in the work ethic. He could be in that line for that next kind of killer, that next kind of person that is dedicated to the game. And I know that those are some big shoes to fill. I know that you know Devin Booker gets a lot of those comparisons. But somebody else that's in that realm has to be talked about. And like you said, being underrated, I think it is Jason Tatum. But I know we have been talking about Jason for a little bit. So we are going to just move it into our last NBA topic, which is actually the complete opposite of the last couple of topics in the yeah. NBA. And that is kind of like a dumpster fire, a tire fire, as Kyle will say. So yeah. let me pose this to you, because I know that you and the Knicks fans have kind of like a hate-hate relationship. So the Knicks right now are currently sitting in the Eastern Conference at 25 and 37. 13 and a half games behind first place. Obviously well behind the category, or should I say well behind the eight ball, in competing for a playoff spot, let alone a play-in tournament spot. Kyle, what the hell is going on in New York? And why are they struggling so hard? Kevin, it's it's kind of unfortunate to see the Knicks just have the season that, that they're going through this year. They suck. There's no other way to say it. And I know that the Knicks fans, they were very excited about the season going into it. You know, they were in the playoffs last year. They got all the way to a top four seed last year. And it's been followed up by just an outright travesty this year. They're sitting at a 25 and 37 record. They're sitting in 12th place in the Eastern Conference. And to be quite honest with you, Kevin, I I don't know if Tom Thibodeau is going to have a job as the head coach for the Knicks after this season. When I look at the Knicks as a whole this year, the one thing that I just can't wrap my mind around is they can't play defense. And they have Tom Thibodeau, 
who's a defensive-minded head coach, and they're giving up, on average, over like 110 points a game. I mean, just kind of in the recent stretch that they've been on. They've lost six games in a row. They've lost one out of... They've lost... They've lost nine out of their last 10 games, excuse me. And they're just falling apart at the seams, and that's despite the fact that they've actually gotten some decent contributions from R.J. Barrett of late. He's really kind of the one that's kind of stepped out of the rotation that they've had and has been providing great minutes for the Knicks as a whole. But when you look at the series that they had against the 76ers just the last couple of days or so, you know the, the last game that they played against the 76ers, they were up in the first half of that game against Philly. And then Philly just torched them in the second half of that game. I think if memory serves me correct, I think the Knicks gave up damn near like 70, 75 points in the second half against Philly in that second matchup on the back-to-back. Just overall, the Knicks just can't seem to get right defensively. And no matter what they're able to put on the offensive side of the board, it's just defensively, they're just falling apart. And, you know, when you look at the Knicks as a whole this year, I think the real issue that this team has been facing, I think it's internally, I think it's because of Tom Thibodeau. And I think that there's been some discord between the coaches and the players. And we've seen it happen physically as far as the Knicks will call a timeout. The assistants are showing Julius Randle a play where he missed an assignment or wasn't where he was supposed to be. And I remember one instance in particular where Julius slammed down a laptop with one of the assistants right there because he didn't want to hear it. I think it's really the lack of accountability from the players because they're not playing up to snuff. But I do have to say that I think Tom Thibodeau has the main hand here in why they're just not performing like they were last year. And with the way that I see it, kind of the the way that the Knicks have been playing this year, I think the Knicks are going to be looking, I don't know, we could be looking at a, I don't want to say like a top 10 lottery pick, but if they really keep falling apart here, and Knicks fans, I don't know where you guys are at, but man, you guys are silent right now. You guys are going to be more silent if the uh, the Knicks continue to falter. And that's just kind of the way I see it right now. The Knicks are not in a good place right now. They're basically the antithesis. They're the antithesis of what they were last year. But it's the Knicks they're kind of back in their old ways, and that's just kind of how it goes with them. But Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here. I actually got a statistic wrong. They were 13 and a half games out of first place in their division. They're 15 and a half games out of first place in front of Miami. So it's even worse. Um, as a native New Yorker, as a basketball fan, seeing the Knicks struggling the way that they are does suck. Obviously, a lot of my friends are Knicks fans. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, why in the hell are you struggling so hard? Why is it that you guys have fallen so far from where you were last year? You can combine it with injuries, Derrick Rose, Nerlens Noel, and a lot of other players that played very good for you last year are not, are not active right now. One of your, you know, PR, if you will, uh, big signings in Kemba Walker, he didn't get traded, and now he's not even on the team right now. He's not even on the roster. He has agreed with the Knicks to sit for the rest of the season, and that just, to me, doesn't make sense with their lack of guard depth because Derrick Rose is hurt. R.J. Barrett has emerged as the face of the organization, but Julius Randle continues to play uh, perform poorly in key moments. For whatever reason, he shies away from big clutch moments. He shies away when it matters the, the most. He takes bad shots. He turns the ball over. He complains. I mean, we've talked about him before early on in the season where he slapped the laptop close of, of an assistant trying to show him some things. We've seen him get into altercations with some teammates in terms of verbally. Um, they just seem like they're erupting. They made the trade for Cam Reddish. 
Tom Thibodeau came out or it leaked, whatever, and said that he didn't even want Cam, so Cam's barely playing. Meanwhile, the roster that they currently have assembled could use all the help that they can get. I mean, let's be frank. Alec Burks is getting a whole lot of minutes for a whole lot of nothing, and we're sitting here looking at Tom Thibodeau like, you're, you're, you're fine. Like, the Knicks, Leon Rose, and that front office is looking at him like, it's okay, you can keep your job. We, we, we made a trade, and we're, we, we, I know Kevin Knox ain't play much either, but I'm saying, you know, they traded that in the second-round pick. For Cam, Cam being a consistent shooter, Cam being a, a, an athletic defensive presence and an athletic player on the court that can maybe contribute to some offense, and you're and you're, and you're not playing them. You know, you're you're relying on Julius and RJ so much and Alec Burks for whatever reason, and you're saying, well, this is the lineup I'm going with. Tom Thibodeau's always been a coach to rely on a seven to eight man rotation at most. You have a bench that. You know, at this point, you might as well see what the young guys can do. You might as well see what, what, what they're going to be able to bring to the table. Because if you keep losing at the clip that you're losing, the Pacers are going to pass you. And you're going to be 13. And if you keep losing further beyond that and the Pistons start to wake up, which we all know they're not, but I'm just, you know, giving a hypothetical, you will be 14. So there's about 20-some-odd games left in the year. You need to make some changes, whether that's your starting lineup, whether that's your rotation, whether that's your coaching staff. The Knicks need to figure it out, and they need to figure it out fast. Because if I'm being frank, aside from Tom Thibodeau, I don't see Julius Randle coming back. I don't see Derrick Rose coming back. I don't see Norland's Noel coming back. A lot of – Tosh Gibson hasn't been playing either. I don't see him coming back. There is a, this is going to be a brace, basically a brand-new team with R.J. Barrett being the only person who will be coming back. Kevin, it's just the Knicks just kind of live up to that stigma that they have. It's just – they almost kind of remind me of the Cowboys to a certain extent in the NFL just because when they get hyped based off of one good season, what's it typically followed up by? It's followed by an inconsistent team, a team that doesn't live up to expectation, and overall is just a subpar product. Now with this year, I think it's mostly been internal as far as just, I think there's a lot of discord between Tom Thibodeau and the players this year. I think that's really kind of the main point of contention now, I don't know if it started with the whole Cam Reddish situation when he was traded from Atlanta to New York. And Tom basically said that I'm not going to play him just because I didn't want him here. I don't know if that was really the fire starter that got this whole Knicks season thrown into basically turmoil this year. But I have to look at the Knicks as a whole. It's just, I mean, they're 1-9 in their last 10 games. They've lost six straight games in a row. And... I mean, the last two games against Philly, they just looked they looked out of sorts. And I don't know if they're going to be able to salvage this season. I mean, if they were able to make a play-in tournament situation, I think that would be like the best-case scenario for them this year. If they play like this, I mean, they're probably going to be like one of the like the worst like five teams in the league when it's all said and done this year, if they continue to falter. That's the point that I want to make about that specifically. But, you know, they have a good roster... At the helm, they have good players to work with. RJ Barrett has really stepped up the last couple weeks, but I need to see more from Julius. I need to see more from some of these role players. And just unlike last year, these guys are just not playing up to snuff. And they're sitting at 12, 13 games under 500 for a reason. It's just the biggest thing that I just can't wrap my mind around is Tom Thibodeau. And the fact that this team is giving up so many points in the defensive end. That's Tom Thibodeau's bread and butter. 
and they're getting smoked in some of these games, giving up over 120, even over 130 points in some of these games. This is so unlike a Tom Thibodeau-led team. But I think that internal discord, I just think the players are done with Tom, and the way that it's going, I think Tom Thibodeau is going to be fired at the end of the season. I just, unless the Knicks really, unless the Knicks make a huge stretch at the end of the season and they make the playoffs and they make some sort of noise, possibly getting past the first round of the playoffs, I think Tom is out. And I think you have to look at some of the front office decisions decisions as well. It just hasn't panned out the way that they expected. And I think there's going to be a lot of turnover on this roster when we go into next season. It's not going to be the same like you mentioned. It's just, it, it's so weird when you look at it to see the success that they had last year. And granted, they lost Reggie Bullock and a couple of other free agents, in which I just want to make a quick notation. You guys laughed when we signed Reggie Bullock to a three-year deal. We're sitting at fifth in the Western Conference. You're sitting at 12th in the Eastern Conference. Just let, let, let that be noted. I needed to say that because I, I just had to. I laughed really, really hard when you guys said that Reggie was shit. Reggie Bullock. Clearly, Reggie must have, Reggie, shut up. Reggie Bullock (laughs) must have done something for that team to kind of spark it. And, of course, you had Theo Pinson on your bench. Theo Pinson's kind of sitting on our bench. Not that he's playing much. I just find it funny that every chance the Mavericks get since the KP trade to pick up somebody, whether they were on the Knicks or not, Knicks fans love to make comments and kind of make jabs that, oh, you're trying to beat the Knicks? No, we're better than you. We always have been. Whether or not you beat us in the regular season or not, who's in the postseason? Who's had more consistent postseason appearances? First round exits or not, the fact that we're making it farther than you in some instances is enough for me to contribute and say that we are a better team than you have been over the last 20 years. That's all I wanted to say. All I'm going to say before we go into our last segment is, Kevin, I'm preparing that New York pack. Just letting you know. I'm just oh my preparing God. it, bro. Don't look at me. It is, I'm telling you right now. That's all on them. That's all yeah. on them. I'm going to be absolutely insufferable when we get to the end of the season and the Knicks don't make the playoffs. I'm not going to bash the Knicks. I mean, I think we did a fair job of that just the last couple of minutes or so. Oh, but the, the the vitriol that the Knicks fans are going to throw my way. I'm here for it, 100%. But that New York And that's here, fine. I, I, it's going to be ready to light once we get to the end of the season, bro. Just letting everybody know. But, Kevin, we're, we're reaching our last segment of the episode. I'm going to focus on UFC 272 this weekend. Or is yours. So, Kyle, obviously, with the fight and obviously the big match coming up this weekend, we all know that you are the UFC connoisseur, the UFC um, kind of guru at this point. How do you feel about the matchups coming up this weekend? And what do you feel that 272 is going to bring to the table? Well, I'm going to focus on the main fight here, and that's between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. This is a great fight between Covington and Masvidal because this is the first time that we're going to see both fighters fight in 2022. Both Masvidal and Covington only fought once last year. Colby Covington had a fight against Kamaru Usman for the welterweight belt. He fell short of that uh, belt quest. He lost to Kamaru the second time around. That was the second time that they had fought. And then Jorge Masvidal, in very similar fashion, lost to Kamaru Usman as well trying to go for that title and suffered one of the most vicious knockouts that I've ever seen. Cause Kamara really laid a solid punch on Jorge. And that was the last time that we saw Jorge in 2021, but going into 2022, I think both of these guys are locked in and ready to go. Cause I think this fight between Colby and Jorge, there's going to be some fireworks in this one. And we've already seen both of these guys get chippy before this fight is taking place this weekend. 
we already saw Jorge Masvidal in an interview where he stated that the way that he sees this fight playing out is he thinks that Colby Covington is going to be in critical condition and may not make it just because he thinks that the amount of damage that he's going to be able to inflict on Colby is going to be that great. And Jorge's kind of lived up to that expectation before as far as just talking before the fight because Jorge, despite the fact that he got knocked out by Kamaru Usman, the last fight that he fought in, there was a stretch where Jorge was really doing a lot of damage to the fighters he was going up against. Really the one where I think everybody remembers vividly was that vicious knee that he levied against Ben Askren where he knocked him out within the first two to three seconds of the fight. And I do think that Jorge is going to bring that type of intensity and that type of firepower against Colby. Now, Colby, he's an interesting character. He's really kind of lived up to this like America first type persona. And despite all the hatreds that he's gotten because of that persona, I mean, Colby is no scrub. Colby is a great fighter. His cardio is, you could arguably say that he has the best cardio out of any fighter in the UFC because he can go five rounds, 25 minutes, and, you know, he won't be exhausted by the end of the fight just because his cardio and the amount of volume that he throws with his punches. It's really a sight to behold. Now, granted, it didn't work out for him in the last fight against Kumaru the second time around, but I, I can't slight on Kobe. Kobe is a great fighter. He's always kind of been that one fighter that he just he can't seem to get to that next level to either be the number one contender in that welterweight division or be the the champion holder in that division. But overall, Kobe's going to be ready to go for this fight. Now, the way that I see this one playing out, I think it's going to be a very close fight. I'm not going to say that Jorge is going to knock out Colby just because I've never seen Colby knocked out when I've watched him fight. I've watched, I think, the last four fights of his just because I didn't watch the UFC before uh, that fourth fight that I've seen with Colby. But I think overall, I think this is going to be a back-and-forth matchup. And I think it's going to go five rounds. I don't see one person knocking out the other. I think it's going to go to a decision. I'm going to go with Colby on this one. And the reason why I'm going to go with Colby is because of the point that I brought up with his cardio. I think Jorge, I think the age is going to be a factor here. He's 37 years old. Granted, he still has a lot of tread in those tires left. But I think when it gets to the fourth and fifth rounds, I think Colby's volume and his cardio is going to be the main factor at play here. I think it's going to be the difference maker because I think Jorge is going to slow down a little bit in those fourth and fifth rounds. He's going to be a little bit off. He's going to take some punches from Colby that, I don't think that he would necessarily appreciate, but I think Colby is going to get this by a very close decision. I see this fight, like I said, going five rounds, but I think Colby's going to get the decision when it's all said and done. I see him winning three rounds out of five, and I think that will be the difference maker. But overall, I think this card is going to be a phenomenal one. Get to see guys like Edson Barbosa in this card as well. Uh, Greg Hardy, who's not one of my favorite Fighters. He will also be on the main card as well. So you guys get the opportunity uh, to see the UFC this weekend. It is going to live up to expectations, and I expect nothing but fireworks from this main card. This is probably one of the bigger fights of the year, and I think it's going to be well worth your time. That's just how I see it. Yeah, no, and that about wraps it up for us today. I mean, kind of a quick episode, but not really. We were able to cover all of our topics and, and 
a little bit not necessarily efficient time because we did drag on some of our segments. I dragged on the Philly one. You kind of went into the, the rant on the Lakers one, as you should have. But, guys, if anything, that shows how dedicated we are to the cause. We don't care how long it takes. We want to give you guys our honest, brutally truthful opinions in every category that we can. While at the same time, kind of a little pizzazz, you know what I'm saying? That little, little flavor like that. The salt guy from a few years ago, you know what I'm saying? That's what we do here. We just provide a different outlook on some of these sports topics. And I know I can only speak for myself. I love it. We threw a little seasoning on some of these topics today. We threw some seasonings on there some of these takes today that's what we got to do man it's just who we are that's what we bring to the table as content creators that's what we bring to the table as podcast people man we just we love it we love the 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 grind we love we were literally talking about it earlier the process that we have taken guys by the way we hit a year about two days yesterday yep right yes we hit a year bring that up as, as as a combined podcast and in this year we have had success we've had failure but i'm looking at the positives and i'm saying 400 subs in a year. We're averaging about six, seven viewers on our audio platforms. We've expanded our social media outreach. We're now on Twitter almost at 250 followers. We're expanding our social media outreach on Instagram. We're going to start doing TikToks. By the way, your boy's ordering his mic this weekend. I know, I know. It's been a long time coming. Kyle been getting on my ass. We've been talking about it since January. But I was looking at the specs this week with Kyle, comparing some prices, comparing some product. But God willing, overall, we'll get some uh, we'll, we'll get some equipment coming in either this weekend or early next week. So by next week's Thursday night episode, Friday morning, I will have a new microphone, so the audio portion will be a lot clearer. I'll be setting up some different decorations in the uh, in the office here. Hopefully, get some LED lights that my little brother got me. But again, everything is coming full circle, and without you guys, truthfully, we wouldn't even be here. So, so from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for everything that we've accomplished this year. Kyle, my partner, one of my best friends in life. Thankfully, I met you when I moved to the state of Florida. Seriously, no bullshit. It's been a blessing. And the fact that we share this much interest and talk this much on a daily basis, I cannot tell you I could not do this without you, bro. Much, much love to you, bro. Yeah, bro. I mean, the the feeling is mutual. And um, I'm not going to dive into it like kevin did i mean kevin did a great job i don't really need to say anything more than that i talk a little bit but you know overall i mean you know the amount of support that we've gotten um within the first year of the podcast it's been great hopefully we get that continued support as long as kevin and i are doing this podcast and you know really just at this point we're going to try to make these adjustments with trying to create more of a social media presence on instagram twitter tiktok we're just working on some of the specs of it at this point, but yeah, we're definitely going to try to expand our, our content to different platforms other than just YouTube and Spotify and Apple podcasts and the other audio platforms. We're going to try to be a little bit more interactive on different social media platforms. And hopefully uh, it works out to not just our advantage, but to you guys as well, because you guys are going to have access uh, to multiple platforms to reach our content, which is, which is basically what we want at the end of the day be able for you guys to access as much as our content as possible. Hey, but you know, that's, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Kyle, you got anything left for the, for the viewers back at home? No, I got nothing. Um, Kevin, take it away, man. All right. Well guys, you obviously know we're coming at you guys hot Sunday night, obviously Monday morning, and then we'll have some sub segments coming up in the middle of the week as we have been the last couple But uh, as always, thank you for everything, and we will see you guys again real soon.
Take it easy, guys. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hey, 